Welcome to New Life Church, if you have just logged in. And for those of you around the world, we also want to extend a, a warm welcome. And uh, today we are continuing in our study of the, the Gospel of Luke. In fact, we're coming to the, the final weeks of Jesus' life in the study through the parables of Jesus. And Jesus was on his last journey to Jerusalem. And the closer he got to Jerusalem the closer he got to his crucifixion, and the more he taught his disciples about important aspects regarding discipleship, how they are to live their Christian life um, in the world around him. So Jesus wanted his disciples to display to the world the characteristics of those who were members of his kingdom. Remember, he's not going to be with them shortly, and he wants them to live their faith as if it's their faith um, in this kingdom in this world, displaying the kingdom for all to see. So today in Luke chapter 17, Jesus is teaching a, a short parable. And he offers his disciples, again, a, a, a gentle rebuke who had asked him in verse 5 to increase their faith. And he says to them, and he says to us today, he says, don't wait around for increased faith in order to, to serve me. He says, just a small amount of Genuine faith can accomplish what is humanly impossible. He says, rather focus on your duty to obey God. And when you have obeyed, don't start thinking that you have arrived or that you have accomplished something. Keep in mind at all times that you are just an unworthy servant who has done what is required of him. So today we will look at that parable from Luke 17. If you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. Just a few short verses. Uh, we'll be reading from verse 7 to verse 10. Luke chapter 17. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Well, the answer to that is no. Verse 8. Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? The short answer to that is yes. Verse 9. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? Three questions here in three verses so far. And the answer to that is no. Verse 10. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Please pray with me before we study the word together. Father, we ask for your help again this morning as we tackle another parable that seems to be culturally insensitive. It seems to be not very um, kind. It seems to be something that is rather uh, raw. Lord, we pray that you would give us understanding, even though it may be hard for us to hear. We pray that we would be humble servants, willing to submit to your teaching. So I pray that you would teach us. We pray, Lord, that we would be teachable and that um, you would give us ears to hear and that you give us minds to understand today. We pray that you would continue to conform us more to the image of your dear son and we would be more like the servants that you want us to be. For your glory, Lord, we pray. And for our joy, 
We ask for your help this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you believe that God owes you anything, you may be unhappy when He fails to deliver. And even if God gives you what you want, you still may find something about which to complain. I remember as a youth, I used to watch cars to earn some pocket money over the weekends. I could make up to 100 rand on a Saturday. And in South Africa, in those days, I won't tell you how many days there was, but a long time ago, there was a lot of money. Uh, one car, you could make 20 rand. And if you washed five cars, you could make 100 rand in a, in a weekend. Well, anyway, this one Saturday, I went to a neighbor and I asked him if I could wash his car. And he pointed to two cars in the driveway that looked like they had been driving in and out of rivers caked with mud and dirt. Um, it was a big task, but I thought, two cars, I'm sure I'll get at least 50 rand for this. And with all the extra work that was involved. So I went about cleaning the cars as best as I could. Um, in fact, it took me much longer than I thought because of all the extra work that needed to be done. But after a couple of hours, I proudly handed the keys to my neighbor, and I kind of shuffled around waiting for him to uh, pay me. And finally, reluctantly, he pulled out his, his wallet, and he opened it up, and he pulled out a, a 10 rand note, and he asked me, do you have change? Um, well, one word, stingy. <laughs> That's the only word that I could think of at that time. And this is kind of how the Pharisees viewed Jesus Christ. Oh, in fact, God. This is how they viewed God. They, they thought that God wasn't generous. And it caused them to have really a messed up view of obedience in the Christian life. And you know, if, if we'll do this, then God has to do something for us. And they viewed obedience as something that um, gave them leverage over God. Surely if I do this, God's got to do that for me. Um, and there's people who still today, they say they believe in salvation by grace alone, through, through faith alone, in Christ alone, who still find themselves falling into the, this pattern of thinking that um, I do something for God, God surely has to do something for me. Um, even if something hard is going on in our lives we end up saying, well, if I just obey God, if I just do enough to obey God, maybe I can make up for whatever it is I've done wrong um, throughout the week or throughout the, the, the month, and maybe those good works will cover all my bad works. And my obedience somehow will give me leverage over God. Well, it's precisely that wrong attitude that Jesus is speaking about in this story. And he's going to correct his disciples who have asked him, Lord, to increase their, their faith. Well, my first point this morning is being served or serving. And we see this in verse 7 to 8. Verse 7 says, Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table. Well, most of our English translations of the Bible have translated the Greek word doulos as servant. 
as we see here in verse 7. But in fact, the word should have been translated as slave. And the word doulos means slave. It never means anything else but slave. It doesn't mean servant. It doesn't mean a worker. It doesn't mean a hired hand. It doesn't mean a volunteer. It doesn't mean a helper. You know, there, there are six or seven Greek words that mean servant in some form or another. Doulos never means servant. A servant is someone who is hired to, to do something, whereas a slave is someone who is owned, someone who is owned. There's a big difference here. There's, in fact, a huge difference which we are going to look at in our text this morning. So why then was doulos translated as servant and not slave? Well, John MacArthur, he's written a whole book about this, which I commend to you. It's simply called Slave. If you ever come across it or even on Amazon, I would encourage you to buy it. But John MacArthur says that the reason is because there's too much stigma with the concept of being a slave. It's too strong a downside. It's too humiliating. It's too belittling. So they opted to cover the word by replacing it with servant or bond servant and eliminated the word slave, except when the New Testament talks about an actual physical slave or an inanimate object like slaves of sin or righteousness. They said it's just too negative. I think most of the world today still has not recovered from nearly 400 years of slavery and the very thought of of slavery is, is repulsive to us. So, so revolting, in fact, that it is difficult to read about slavery in the Bible without loading the subject with a great deal of emotional and historical baggage. But in our text this morning, we have a description of a slave. Not a servant, but a slave. Probably the only slave of a small farmer, a slave who not only works in the field, but he also performs household chores, as we see. But to Jews in the, in the first century Roman Empire, slavery was just a fact of life. It was just a way of life. The average person, he didn't have enough money to, to own a slave, but many villagers would have bumped into a slave because of some um, merchant who had lots of money who was able to own a slave. So they knew who slaves were. And people generally became slaves in five ways. And the first way is they were either born a slave um, through their parents who were slaves. Secondly, they could have been purchased to become slaves. Thirdly, if they failed to pay their debts, they could offer themselves as slaves to, to cover and pay the debt. Um, Fourthly, if you were a prisoner of war, you were forced into slavery. And then fifthly, you could sell yourself into slavery. If you were in such a bad way and you had no money and you had no way to look after yourself, you could sell yourself into slavery. And though it may seem strange to us, a number of people would sell themselves primarily to enter a life that was more easier and, and more secure than existence as a poor beggar. Um, so slaves 
were not what we know today or what we think of when we think of the, the history about slaves. The slaves during this time sometimes received education at their owner's expense and they improved their, their lot in life. And if they sold themselves to a Roman citizen, when they were, were set free, they, they were often made Roman citizens themselves, which of course elevated their status and gave them many benefits from the, the government at that time. So while the Greeks considered slaves to be subhuman, history shows us that the Hebrews taught all their, their, their Jewish members to show respect to their slaves. So a very different cultural ethic that they had than, than the Romans did or even the Greeks did. So slaves often didn't just have these, these servile duties. Some slaves were tutors. Some slaves were doctors. Some were companions. Some were household managers. Some were sales agents and even administrators. But the slave that Jesus describes in this brief parable, probably the only slave in this household, got mostly hard labor, which we will see. Um, he was plowing. Um, he was looking after livestock. Uh, and we see that he was cooking in the household, looking after um, the house, doing different chores. Um, so his was a, was a fairly hard existence, this particular slave that we are going to look at. Look at verse, again, 7 and 8. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him, when he is coming from the field, come at once and recline at table? Verse 8. Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink? So notice there, those are questions. And Jesus is inviting his hearers to imagine that they own a slave. And their slave is working in their farm and working in their house. And of course, many of his listeners who were, who were poor, ordinary people would have loved to have their own slave to look after them and to serve them. Then Jesus asks this rhetorical question. He says, does the master fix dinner for the slave or is it the other way around? Of course, we know the answer to that. The slave was the one who was to prepare the dinner and to serve the master and his family before he could eat. Um, after even a hard day's work, that was his duty. That's what he was supposed to have done. Now, we may say, well, you know, that isn't fair. Uh, we, we may reply angrily. We struggle with this kind of demand mainly because we don't, we don't usually have a single person for multiple kinds of, of work. Um, you know, you expect a, a cook to prepare a meal. You um, expect a, a farmhand to do work in, in, in the farm. You don't expect one person to do multiple things. But if you think about it, it's not that very different in our own day and age. You know, certain kinds of, of jobs sometimes require extra hours. You know, some of the ladies from New Life Church who work as teachers at a play school here in Abu Dhabi were required to work long hours recently to get their school ready for inspection and for reopening. And they told us that even though they, they, they're supposed to be teachers, they had to 
scrub and they had to clean the classroom and they had to get everything sanitized and compliant with all the, the COVID regulations. And even though this was not part of their job description, they did it. It was necessary for the school to reopen. And though I'm sure these ladies didn't especially like that work, they did it because it was required. And people in some cultures work two or three jobs because they, they have to. Is it fair? No, of course it's not fair, but it's, res it's required by the responsibilities that they have. And the point is here, not whether it is fair or whether it is not fair, the slave was expected to work in the field, and he was expected to fix the food. That was his duty. That's the point of this passage here. The master wasn't there to serve the slave, but the slave was there to serve the master. And that brings us to our second point. Look at verse 2, the servant's duty. We see that now in verse 9 to verse 10. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? Verse 10. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Again, this is culturally insensitive to us, isn't it? It may strike us as um, bad manners not to, not to say thank you um, when somebody does work for us. It may strike us as uh, being unkind. But, but Jesus' point, however, is, is not about manners or, or proper etiquette. Jesus' point here is about a servant's action regarding service. So the, the, the required action of an obedient servant is to serve his master day and night. And Jesus is saying here, look Pharisees, your own theology of God and of blessing doesn't work. There, there are flaws in your theology. Um, you think that if you do certain things, you will put God in your debt. That's not how obedience works. You've completely misunderstood the role of obedience in life that God calls His children to live. That's basically what God is saying in this parable, very shortly summarized. So the required attitude of an obedient servant is to do his duty joyfully and with gratitude. And Jesus makes it clear in this passage that we ought to serve God in humility and in gratitude. We spoke a few weeks, I spoke from Psalm 100 about having that attitude of gratitude. And it's really the same thing here about the servant who is serving his master. What attitude is he having when it comes to serving his master? Is he serving in joy? Is he serving in love? In other words, our service to God is not just to be a means to an end. Well, our service to God is not just so that we can get God to do something for us and to build up works and, and almost leverage Him or manipulate God into, into doing something for us. God, I'll do this as long as you finally give me what I've been asking for. And that is why Jesus says in verse 10, look at verse 10. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say we are unworthy servants. We have only done 
what was our duty. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to underline it. We have only done what was our duty. So, Jesus is saying in this passage, the servant comes in, and yes, he works hard in the field or with his sheep, and yes, he works hard preparing the meal for his master, and yes, he has to wait until the master is done before he can sit down for his meal, but he's still, at the end of the day, just doing his job. He hasn't done anything to earn merit or deserve some sort of response from the master. He's just done his job. And Jesus is saying that God doesn't relate to us that way. God isn't like this small farmer. That's not how God relates to his children. In fact, Jesus is going to point out in this passage that just as he did in the story of the, the prodigal son, that God is in fact very generous, very lavish in his kindness to his children. And he gives us things that, that we certainly don't deserve. And we, on the other hand, are the ones who are incredibly ungrateful. Rather than God who's being stingy or God who's being mean or God who's being a miser in some way or another. If you look down in your, past, in your Bible, in chapter 17, there in Luke chapter 17, in verse 11, the next story that follows from our passage this morning, you will see is the story of the, the ten lepers. And remember, this is all together inspired the way it should be in the Bible. So there is context here. You remember all the lepers got healed, all ten of them. And how many of them were thankful? Well, only one was. Only one. And who's the hero of the story in the passage? It's obviously the leper who came back and thanked the Lord. And what's Jesus' point? Well, God is the one who is generous. God is the one who is able to give blessings abundantly more than we are to, able to, to thank Him for. So you see the problem with the Pharisees, their ideas here that Jesus was addressing. The Pharisees' idea of God and obedience is really, is really all upside down here. And they've got it back to front and confused and mixed up. And God is saying here, He doesn't reward us based on our performance. I'll do this if you do that for me. You scratch my back and I'll scratch your back. A servant is required to obey his master's commands. When he obeys every single command of his master, he is simply performing his duty as he is supposed to. There is nothing meritorious at all in doing what he is supposed to do. Um, so even if a servant excels, he is still a servant doing the work that he's supposed to do. I read an article in the Reader's Digest magazine. It told the story of a of a 67-year-old man whose name was Bill, who had donated over 100 pints of blood over the years. No, no doubt, many people owe their, their lives to Bill because of his kindness. But um, he was interviewed, and this is what Bill, Bill thought about this. He said, when that final whistle blows, and St. Peter asks, what did you do? I'll just say, well, I gave 100 pints of 
blood, he said with, with laughter. That ought to get me into heaven. Well, I hope Bill was joking. I hope he didn't think that, you know, I do so much works, then I will be getting myself into heaven. You know, I am a good person. I am helpful in society. I scratch people's backs. Then God surely has to scratch my back. So you can see this, this philosophy that the, the Pharisees had was not just exclusive to them. This philosophy is very real in our own day and age, in our own modern time. The same gospel that the Pharisees subscribe to, and unfortunately many other religious people still subscribe today. It's called this gospel of, of works, this gospel of merit, where they think if they do something, and they will earn merit with God. And God has to do something for them. Well, let me, let's go to our third point as we look at the unworthy servant, and we'll have more application in a moment. But look at verse 10. And Jesus says, So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. The New Testament is quite clear about merit, works, and grace. And I think the most clearest statements are from the Apostle Paul, and I've, I've put a couple of verses for us to see here this morning. In Romans chapter 4, we read in verse 4 and verse 5, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Then in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, um, Paul the Apostle again says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the blessings that we receive from the Lord are not because of works that we have done, but it's because of the work that Christ has done on the cross. The blessings we receive as Christians are because we have been adopted as sons into the, children, into the family of God. And again, that adoption is all by grace. It's not what we've done. It's what God has done. He is the one who reached out to us. He is the one who went searching for us. He is the one who has found us. And He is the one who has adopted us. So God doesn't owe us really anything here. He gives us blessings freely. And rather, we are the one who, who owe Him this unpayable debt. And again, our service is not because we have to out of duty. We see this morning that our service has to be out of joy, out of gratitude, an attitude of gratitude for what Christ has done for us. And our access to God's throne and the freedom that we have to, to speak to Him about our, our needs are granted not because of anything that we have achieved, but by 100% 
God's gracious and merciful rescue mission through Jesus Christ. Now you think about it, and you may be arguing in your heart this morning that, that you are not like the Pharisees, that, that you live by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone. But consider for a moment the type of prayers that we pray. Our prayers tend to um, reveal this, this Pharisaic attitude that sometimes we have just a little bit in our, in our own theology. Our prayers are always like a shopping list, aren't they? Of what, what the Lord needs to do for us. You know, we pray, Lord, please help my, my business succeed. Or, or help me not get COVID. Or help my, my friend's cancer. Or protect the, the widows and, and orphans. You need to do this, God. Provide food for, for those who need food. And, and while you're at it, God, please make sure that I get an increase in my salary. Work in my boss's heart to make him more kinder to me that I would get a, a, a promotion. And too often we pray in the way that we're commanding a, a genie from a bottle who's granting us ten wishes. And we forget that God doesn't owe us anything. We're not His servants. We're not volunteers. We are His slaves. It's not the other way around. And our prayers should rather be prayers of a servant. Father, what do you want me to do today to glorify you? Or rather, show me how I can love you better, Master. Or help, my, help me to use my, my COVID or other disease that I have for, for your glory. Or give me strength and give me boldness to, to be a witness to the world around me that needs to know about your glory. I mean, what are our prayers like? How does our philosophies shape the way that we pray to God and think about God? Now, the truth is that God does not owe us anything. There is nothing whatsoever that we can do that will earn or merit us favor with God. But we struggle so much with our own self-righteousness. I remember in India, there was a church where all these pilgrims would come from all over the, um, the state, or all over India, once a year to come and worship some shrine that was inside this, this Catholic church. And people would walk barefoot, hundreds and hundreds of kilometers, trying to earn favor with God. If I, if I hurt myself along this pilgrimage, God will see the, the great work that I've done and he will, he will give me some merit and I will earn some favor with God. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's what the Pharisees taught. We struggle so much with our own self-righteousness. J.C. Ryle, the, the Bishop of Manchester, who um, has written many great books, here's a quote I found that he said, he said, He that desires to be saved must confess that there is no good thing in him and that he has no merit, no goodness, no worthiness of his own. He must be willing to renounce his own righteousness and to trust in the righteousness of another 
even Christ the Lord. And we see here the only person who ever merited God's favor is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you may think of all the, the good people that you've put up on a pedestal in, in history past. Every single one of those great people have failed in one way or another, have broken the law. But we know Jesus was the only perfect person that, worked, that walked on this earth. He was the only one that fulfilled the law completely. And he is the only one who has ever merited God's favor. And that's because he did everything perfectly. And that's because he did something voluntarily that you and I were unable to do, were unable to fulfill. And that we never did anyway. And he obeyed God's law perfectly. And then he took upon himself the penalty for our sin, for our breaking that law. And as a result, earned a free grace blessing that God poured out on all of those that, that trust the work that Jesus did. Not trusting the work that we do, but trusting the work that Jesus did. That is where our blessings flow from. And God saves us not because of what we've done or because of our merit, but because of what Jesus has done. And therefore, all of our service ought to be done with gratitude at the end of the day, with humility and with gratitude. And we need to fully take in that, that God deals with us by grace. He deals with us by grace. And in this passage that we've just read, we, we're told that the slave or the servant doesn't get to eat with the, the master at the, same at the same time as the master. He has to wait until the master has eaten and then go off to his little table in, a, in another little room and, and eat on his own. But I want to show you something that is amazing here. I want to show you something that will bless you. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Yeah, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's telling them to be ready for his coming. And he says in Luke 12, he says in verse 35, when I come, it's going to be like a, a wedding feast and, and the bridegroom is going to, to come. And who's the bridegroom? Well, Jesus is the bridegroom. He, he's the guest of honor at, at this wedding. But look at verse 37. In Luke 12, verse 37, he says, Blessed are those slaves whom the master shall find on the alert when he comes. So truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. He will come up and wait on them. This is the most important party that is ever going to be thrown and this is the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the party that you want to be invited to. And who is serving at the, the marriage party of the Lamb? Are you serving? No. It is Jesus who is serving. And who is Jesus serving? He's serving everybody that has put their faith in Him. Jesus, like He did in the, in the upper room with His disciples, when, when He washes their, their feet, He now he girds himself again at his own marriage supper. And he, he says, recline at the table. I want to serve you a feast. Of course, this is completely the opposite of what any slave owner would do. 
But you see, Jesus is showing us that, that he is not just an ordinary master. He is the extraordinary, kind, loving, merciful, forgiving master who sent his son to redeem us, to save us from the pit that we dug for ourselves. This kind of God doesn't need this leverage of our obedience to urge him to give us a blessing. This kind of God is ready to lavishly pour out his grace upon his children. And we need to fully take it in that, that God does this all by grace. And our response should be the attitude of gratitude that we need to have towards this gracious, loving master. So as we conclude this morning, I want to ask you just one question. How do you identify yourself this morning? Do you identify yourself as a, as a servant, as a hired hand, working to get something in return? Remember, a servant is only employed for a certain amount of time, or maybe nine to five or eight to five. I think, sadly, there are many Christians who, who think that, well, I'm only going to serve God when it suits me. I'm only going to serve God on, on, on a Friday, maybe for a couple of hours, and maybe on a Thursday, but the rest of the time is my time. How do you identify yourself this morning? Do you see yourself as a, as a slave? A slave who is owned. A slave who, who is a possession of the master. Do you see yourself as a slave who is owned by a loving master, by the all-wise master, by a compassionate, generous, powerful, protective Forgiving master, do you see yourself in that way? You know, there's something very freeing, very liberating about embracing our role as God's slaves. And when we treat God as our employer, or we think that God owes us something, that we deserve something, then we start to develop some attitude of entitlement. We start to develop some underlying sense that, well, life is not fair. Life is not kind. Life is not working for me. And it's then that we become angry and we become depressed and we become anxious when, when things don't go our way. And there's an assumption underneath all of that anger. And that assumption is that, that you think that God owes you something in this life. And you take that assumption away, and all this anger and all this grief collapses and is destroyed, and it's no longer a problem. It's gone, and you're no longer in its grip anymore. And you ne are not nearly as much as, as a victim as you, as you once thought that you were. And when we stop trying to be the master who sees that the world should, should serve us on our terms, we will be free from this conflict and we'll be able to have this, this attitude of gratitude for all that God gives us. The Bible nowhere tells us 
that we need to improve our self-esteem, that we need to think more of ourselves, that we need to think that we are entitled, that we are owed anything. But many times the Bible does exhort us to grow in humility. The Bible tells us very clearly, God gives grace to the humble, but He resists the proud. Even when we obey the most difficult commands in the Bible, we are, we are to say of ourselves, I'm just an unworthy slave who, who only did which was my duty, which I was asked to do. And remember, there's no praise or glory in, in doing your duty. If you want applause for the work that you do, please join a circus. You'll get all the applause that you need. But there's no praise that comes to us. The praise and the glory goes to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who has given us the gifts in order to do the work that he has asked us to do. So we are even empowered by him to do the duty that we are supposed to do. We are his slaves. And we are to serve him with, with gratitude. You know, I don't think any of you go to work and your, and your boss meets you at 8 o'clock in the morning and he says, thank you so much for being here on time. It's just wonderful how you, how you come to work every day and you come on time. Thank you so much. I think it's safe to say none of us have bosses like that. I think the boss is paying us a salary and he expects us to do the work, isn't it? It's our duty. We don't complain. Um, obviously, if it's abused, that authority, there's room for that. But we give him a, a salary, we, we do the work. And the point is, the point I'm trying to make is that we don't earn brownie points with, with God for, for doing what he has commanded us to do. It's expected for slaves to do what the master commands. And the servant here in Jesus' story has found grace in the opportunity to serve the master. And the question again, are you serving your master joyfully and with gratitude? If you're struggling with some difficult command that you know God wants you to obey, look to the cross where Jesus has given himself for you. And Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. We are loved by the Master, the Master who gave his life for us. And now we live for him. And may the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ drive us away from ourselves. And may it drive us closer and closer to the foot of the cross. Pray with me. Father, we do thank you for this reminder this morning. And Lord, I must confess, Lord, that at times I have felt like these Pharisees, Lord. Preparing this message this week, Lord, I have been rebuked myself in thinking, Lord, that you owe me something for all my service that I have done for you, for all the sacrifices that I have made for you. But Lord, I'm just doing my duty. And help me to have this attitude of gratitude. 
pray today, Lord, that those who are listening and those who may have been offended, Lord, you'd help them to see that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Please, Lord, we pray that you would take away the stony hearts that make us proud and that you would give us a heart of flesh that would receive this admonition from the Lord this morning, that we would love you better, that we would serve you better, Lord, that we wouldn't be living for our own glory, that we wouldn't be living, building up our own empires, but we would be living for you, Lord, because we know one day you will return, and one day we will give an account, not to earn merit, but to hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Lord, we look forward to that day. And I pray, Lord, we all as a church would be found not wanting, not hiding our heads in the, in the sand, or not making excuses, or not even guilty, but that we would be willing and ready to offer up our crowns to you for the work that you have enabled us to do for your glory. So Lord, please, may we live for your glory. And we know, Lord, as you go to the cross in the next couple of, of weeks in this passage, Lord, your disciples are, are going to have to understand that their faith has to be their own. And they can't just be living somebody else's faith. And they have to live for your glory in a world where there would be persecution in a world that would hate them in, in a world that, that doesn't want to hear this precious gospel truth. Lord, we can identify this morning with these disciples. I pray, Lord, please help us to live in light of your coming and that we would make your invisible kingdom visible on this earth as we work for your glory, as your faithful joyful slaves. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. And thank you for adopting us as your children. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.